Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Now, I'm not having a, uh, a, a moment, right? I'm not having some kind of out-of-body experience. I'm here. You're here. Right? I, I, may be, I may be in my basement, but I am doing a radio program. And, you know, we have sponsors and audience. There's billions of dollars being traded all about this show. I swear to you, I think I'm losing my mind. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. There was a moment a few weeks back where Scott Adams, the creator of the cartoon Dilbert, was saying on his podcast that... There's people out there who are totally hateful, and he cited a poll that said nearly half of all black people are not okay with white people. It was a a Rasmussen poll, and it dealt with the phrase, it's okay to be right, or I'm sorry, it's okay to be white. It's okay to be white, and that was the poll, and the Anti-Defamation League deemed the phrase a hate slogan. I didn't know. Okay, sure, they they, they can if if they choose. I don't know if people believe it, but neither here nor there. The Rasmussen poll found that 72% of the 1,000 Americans they surveyed agreed with the statement and that even a majority of black people did as well. The poll also found that 79% of respondents agreed with the statement black people can be racist too, including 66% of of black people. You want to talk about a a manufactured fight? The idea that that, uh, because of someone's skin, they can't be this, they can't be that, they can't be the other, or they're only this, only that, only the other. People are special. And when I say special, I mean sad. Not all people. You and I are fine. But what what Scott Adams said in in regards to this, when taking a look at the poll, twenty six percent of black black respondents said that it's not okay to be white. Twenty one percent not sure. Forty seven percent of black people not willing to say it's okay to be white. And so he responded by saying, based on the current way things are going. The best advice I would give, this is Scott Adams, the creator of the cartoon Dilbert, says that he, the best advice he would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the blank away. Wherever you have to go, just get away because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. I watched that. I saw the clip. I'm like, I don't understand anything about why I would pay attention to a bit of polling or why I would would leave or why I would not have a neighbor. I None of it made sense to me. There are going to be some people who are going to hate you for the color of your skin, regardless of whoever they are. And that's just the way it's going to go. I teach my children that there will be some people who hate you because you're Jewish. They've never met you a day in your life. They're just going to hate you sad that's reality 
And the only thing you got to do is be aware those people exist and then move on with your life. Perhaps have lunch. That might be a good way to deal with it. But what a line. The advice that Scott Adams would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. And I would have thought nothing else of it. Except I came across this and... And, and, and Ryan, who's in uh, the studio today running, running things, Ryan, finger on the dump button just in case. I came across this in a four people in a box, right, like a Zoom call. Listen. And then I'm a big believer in affinity space and affinity work. And I think people of color need to get away from white people <laughs> and, and have some community um, with each other. And I'll... I'll let that go and maybe see if anyone else wants to pick it up. That's Robin D'Angelo. That's Robin D'Angelo, the woman who created one of the great lies in, in, our, in our modern day society, white fragility. You see, you're a bigot if you're white. Well, wait a second, I have questions. You see, asking questions is just proof of how fragile you are. You can't take it. You're just a racist and you can't take it. And you want to ask questions, but there are no questions because we deemed you a racist. Look, we have a whole book to tell you how you can't handle being called a racist, even though you are a racist, because you're so fragile. This is considered rational conversation among pseudo-intellectuals. This is the, the Mao struggle session Come into practice, it's also very, very profitable. She believes in, in affinity space. First of all, I must tell you, I don't know what uh, affinity space is. Affinity space, uh, hold on a second, is, is there an actual definition? Is the learning and well-being solution for the modern workplace. That's what infinityspace.io where people can interact and share a lot with each other. I, I, I don't know what this means, but it seems uh, based on how it's described. And then I'm a big believer in affinity space and affinity work. And I think people of color need to get away from white people <laughs> and, and have some community um, with each other. So you're advocating for segregation. That's what's happening. When Scott Adams does it, he needs to be dropped from his cartoon strip and it can't be printed. When Robin D'Angelo does it, buy her book? Um, I have questions. A lot of them. And, and I, I guess we'll start with, with the, the, the basic one. Why can't anybody just be normal? Exactly how hard is it for people just to be normal. If somebody doesn't like you, you don't have to be their friend. If you don't like them, they don't have to be your friend. The only thing you're not allowed to do is kill them in the public square. You wanna know what civility is? Civility is not killing somebody in the public square because they disagree with you. Or as we're seeing in today's society, because they won't celebrate with you. This brings us to the National Hockey League. In the National Hockey League, and if you want to follow a Twitter account that will make you never watch hockey again, follow the San Jose Sharks. Oh my goodness 
gracious. It is. It stinks. That is that is better said. Thank you, John Lovitz. It is insane wokeness on wokeness. And we're now back to they're going to have a pride event this and a pride event that. And some players don't want to wear the quote unquote gay pride sweater. All right. It's a hockey sweater. It's not a jersey. It's a, it's a, it's a sweater. Um. First, we should be clear that they're never talking about people who are gay. They're talking about the LGBT plus community. They're talking about the T. It's always about the T. They don't actually care about the L, the G, or the B. They don't give a damn about gay and lesbian people. They don't. That's not it. So we're clear. And they want to make the assumption that if you're gay or lesbian or bi, uh, that you are all in on the T the transgender, the insanity going on. They don't even give you an option if you're gay. You're either in or you're not really gay. I mean, that's what they'll tell you. Pure, pure evil, as I see it, in terms of telling people you don't really exist unless you do all these things we say to do because LGBT is not about people. It's a political movement. Andrew Berkshire is Canadian. Well, no, it's not in and of itself disqualifying, right? We, there are plenty of fine Canadians. Name me one. Oh, stop it, Joe. Program director of Game Over on SDPN Sports. That's who he, that's who he is. And he tweets out someone in the NHL needs to have a stern meeting with players and inform them that wearing pride gear doesn't make you gay. I don't think anybody did think that wearing a shirt will make one gay. All it does is make a statement that people in the LGBT plus community are welcome in the sport. So don't say there's no hate in your heart if you can't do that. Some players say this is not where I'm comfortable. I I don't want to wear this. Uh, I have a religious take here. I don't want to wear this. And what they're being told is, wear it or else you're hateful. What they're saying is, wait a second, go live your life. Go live your life. Just don't don't make me do it. I just don't want to be a part of it. I don't I don't want to wear the, the rainbow thing. And they're being told, well, you have to wear the rainbow thing. You have to celebrate acceptance is not enough you can't accept the fact that someone over there is going to do x or someone over there is going to do y you have to celebrate the x and celebrate the y let me bring in lindsey gibbs who in the world is lindsey gibbs catch this she's the writer of power plays a no bs newsletter about sexism in sports you're a little bit racist well you're a little bit too i i I said no no guys guys i said sexism in sports not not racism in sports it's 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 very 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 different very different sexism in sports and it's no bs that's how you know it's serious she's not right no bs yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion man Woman. She's a woman. You're a sexist, Lebowski. Meanwhile, she writes. 
under the umbrella of disingenuous BS, you can blank the right off with this statement. What's the statement? It's the statement from uh, James Ramirez or Reimer. Uh, James Reimer, I believe I pronounce his name. Goaltender for the San Jose Sharks. The San Jose Sharks have chosen to wear jerseys in support of the LGBTQIA plus community tonight. For all 13 years of my NHL career, I've been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and and in response asks me to love everyone and follow him. I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I've always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. I strongly believe that every person has value and worth, and the LGBTQIA plus community, like all others, should be welcomed in all aspects of the game of hockey. Okay. I'm a man of faith. I'm not going to engage uh, this, but you go live your life. Lindsey Gibbs responds under the umbrella of disingenuous BS. You can blank the right off with this statement. If you truly believe the queer community is welcome in hockey, you'd wear the shirt. You do not get to have it both ways. Jesus is not impressed. She continues, it's obviously awful that so many hockey players, etc., won't wear pride shirts. But what upsets me, she doesn't say upsets me, but I had to change it for radio. Even more is that when they won't wear pride shirts but still insist they don't hate the LGBTQ community. If you don't hate the LGBTQ community, wear the shirt. Simple. Translation, you must comply. The translation is, you must do what you are told. You must celebrate. And we're going to be judging your celebration to make sure that it's a real celebration. You can't just say you're going to celebrate. You need to celebrate, celebrate. The bigotry of these people is absolutely astounding. But it is a great example of how incredibly violent they are. You're not allowed to have a say. It's not enough to be like, okay, there are gay people in the world. Nope. Celebrations. But it's not about gay people. It's about transgender people. And it's about celebrating children being mutilated. Oh, you knew it was going to go there. The latest from the ACLU. It... The hits just keep on coming with this one. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Counts. So I have been sharing with you the Indiana ACLU. Man, they are all over the place here. Indiana lawmakers pushing slate of hate. They have advertisements uh, in in top newspapers. They're 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 everywhere you look. Everywhere you look, they are screaming about the fact that Indiana wants to pass laws that says, "Hey, maybe if a kid starts saying they identify a certain way, their parents should know." Maybe, just maybe. Parents should be allowed to know what's going on in their kid's life. And maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't be a society that tries to confuse children. 
on this concept of gender. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Well, if you oppose the idea of a child being able to engage surgery or puberty blockers or anything else, you oppose what they call gender-affirming care, and you're just a hateful bigot. It really is some world-class wordplay. Uh, Don't fall for any of it. It is sick, twisted nonsense. These are terrible people. The people who push the idea of gender-affirming care Man, it is it is gross what they are in favor of and the level of brutality that they're in favor of. The ACLU of Indiana is, for whatever reason, supportive of what I consider to be the abusive side of the argument, which is children can decide these things and children can take puberty blockers and children can do this and parents shouldn't uh, shouldn't know. Parents shouldn't have a say. Parents shouldn't have a say. And the ACLU of Indiana puts forth a a, a tweet the other day, trans and non-binary youth belong, and and it's in all caps, and they say it like six times. And my response is, this isn't how adults talk. This is what happens when you're a child and you're not allowed to have a second scoop of ice cream and you just start screaming, yelling, and having a tantrum. That's what the ACLU is doing because they're losing the argument. And the state of Indiana is moving forward on things like SB uh, 480, Senate Bill 480. As the ACLU puts it, breaking SB 480, which would ban life-saving, gender-affirming care for trans youth, is scheduled for its second and final committee meeting tomorrow. We need you to pack the state house to show lawmakers that Hoosiers want the attacks on trans youth to stop. First, pack the state house. Um, that's a call for insurrection. I just want to say, I want to say, if I'm being asked, based in today's society, pack the state house. My gosh, what next? Donald Trump calling on people to protest? <laughs> we know the code words when we hear them. But secondly, anytime they use the word trans youth, like they were tweeting out, screaming in those caps, trans and non-binary youth belong, they start with a premise that I find to be abusive. They start with this state, trans youth, totally normal, totally legit, totally fine. Doesn't matter how they get there. Doesn't matter how they're pushed there. Doesn't matter how they're cajoled there. It doesn't matter if their parents get to know. They decide and therefore everything's okay. Well, that's normal. That's standard. And how dare you? They belong. Belong where? What? No one's saying that they're not kids and that they don't belong. What are you talking about? You're trying to say that the state of trans youth is one that we should just all accept. And the answer is no. That trans youth get to engage puberty blockers or medical decisions for themselves. The answer is no. And then you have the audacity to call it gender affirming care. Taking off the breasts of a healthy young girl is not gender affirming, nor is it care. It's just the opposite. The ACLU is in a tailspin. An absolute tailspin. And I really hope people realize that this should bankrupt them. They don't deserve your support. I'm Tony Katz.
Now, I wasn't planning on coming back to the Donald Trump story, right? The, the, the Trump and the possible indictment and the hush money to Stormy Daniels story. I wasn't planning on doing it. But then DeSantis said something. I'm like, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't. So allow me to do so. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. You heard my conversation with uh, William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor. And uh, if you missed it, I'll share it with you coming up. So so you got to catch up because it's important to hear what exactly is being discussed. Everybody's got an opinion. Opinions are like, you know what, everyone's got one. What about the data? The data is is what matters. From there, you can actually formulate an opinion worthy of something. As opposed to, I am told that in order to be a good person, I must think like this. And in order to protect so-and-so, I must think like that. We're, we're not like that. We're not like that. We're, we're rational people. We want to understand what's going on. And as I see it, there is absolutely no reason to indict Donald Trump. As I see it, it is clearly... A, a witch hunt. It, it, it's, it's crazy town. It is show me the man and I'll show you the crime. It is trying to find something that Trump did wrong as opposed to something Trump did wrong. Remember, if you were to look at anybody, and then this is the problem with, with uh, law enforcement, with the judicial system, with however it is you want to look at it, we have so many laws on the books. We have so many different configurations and viewpoints that everyone is guilty of everything all the time. The only question is whether or not we put somebody after you for it or after me. That is the only question. You're guilty. Now what? If a police officer can sit in their squad car In a 55-mile-an-hour zone, as people drive, on average, 65 miles an hour, if indeed that can happen, then the speed limit's 65 miles an hour. That's, That's the story. But it's done that way, so people can go whatever, and then the cop can decide, all right, I'll get that one. And then, boom, they get that one. If, If you ask me, One of the biggest problems that I see in society uh, regarding law enforcement is that law enforcement creates the adversarial relationship. It starts with, you go say, I get get mocked for this, but I'm I'm willing to go to, to the mattresses on it. It starts with the fact that police vehicles aren't in neon orange. Every time a police vehicle barely lets you know it's a police vehicle and the lights on top are so thin you can barely see them and the word police is done in a way that you couldn't see it if the sun wasn't fully bright in the sky, that is the police hunting the citizen. It's what it is. It's being able to lay in wait, to, to, to lurch around the corner, to, to, to hide. And that's not a society that's worthwhile. That's an adversarial society. It's an adversarial society. It is what it is what it is. And it's dangerous. And it's awful. And I judge cops as guilty for it. And I'm not anti-police, but I'm sure as hell anti-that. I'm anti-police abuse, and I believe that is police abuse. I, for example, oppose with everything in me civil asset forfeiture. 
and the police officers and others who support law enforcement who are in favor of it are wrong and deserve to be excoriated. What is civil asset forfeiture? I tell you the story of Linda Martin. It was a fantastic write-up of this on, on Fox, one of their digital originals. This woman put her money in a safety deposit box. And you're like, why would anybody do it? Well, she thought that it was in her bank account. She might spend it. She didn't want to spend it. They were saving it. So, boom, put it in the safety deposit box. All right, you and I may think that weird, but it's her money. She can do anything she damn well wants with it. In 2021, the FBI raided the bank that they kept their money in. Something called U.S. Private Vaults, a Beverly Hills-based company. And you know, it might not have been a bank, it just might have been safety deposit boxes. Okay. Her, 1,400 other customers. From all the safety deposit boxes, 86 million in cash, and then gold, silver, jewelry, a bunch of other stuff. From this woman, Linda Martin, $40,200. That was her life savings. She gets a notice that the FBI wanted to keep her money through a process known as civil forfeiture. So she's like, I don't know what this is, but there's a way that you could file a petition with the Bureau. So she's like, all right, I'll file a petition with the Bureau. What she did not know is that doing so meant that she was conceding that her property could be forfeited. Now, civil asset forfeiture is often described to me in in this way. You are driving down the road and you're speeding. Police officer pulls you over. Police officer asks a bunch of questions, as cops do. By the way, don't answer questions for the police. Don't answer questions for the police. You don't have to answer. You have the right to remain silent. You don't have to answer. I'm sorry, officer, I don't answer questions. I'm sorry, officer, I don't answer questions. I'm sorry, officer, I don't answer questions. Any officer who thinks that's wrong, that is an officer who doesn't believe in your rights. Just so you were aware, I'm sorry, officer, I don't answer questions. Civil asset forfeiture says that if the cop and asking you questions, well, do you have any large amounts of cash on you? As a matter of fact, I've got $15,000 on me. I'm going to buy a car. The cop could decide... I think you're going to use that for drugs. Take the money. Hold on to the money. The local uh, police precinct now has access to the money. Now, this is the part where people start emailing me and calling me, telling me I've got it wrong. Nah. No, no, no. I've got the basics pretty down pat here. The point is, they decide you are going to use that money for some purpose. They don't give it back to you. You have to fight to get your money back. The fight will cost more than $15,000, so you say, ah, forget it. They abuse you by taking what is yours because they decided you were going to use it for some ill-gotten purpose, even though they never proved it. It takes too much time and money for you to prove that it's yours. You don't get it back. It ends up being forfeited, forfeiture, and then the, the police department gets it. Now, if you tell me that doesn't happen, of course it does happen. So let's not do that. If I have missed some part of it with 100% uh, of an explanation, you're more than welcome to send it to me. If you want to defend that kind of process, I think you're nuts. I think it's theft. It's theft. It's government theft. And this woman, not knowing how the form is filled out, 
says, hey, wait a second, this is mine, and files a petition, but by doing so, she hurts herself and her case. Any agency that would do that, in this case, the FBI, that wants to hurt Americans who want to go about their rights and get their property back, that is reason enough to start firing FBI agents to clear out the entire top and start all over. So we understand each other. FBI agents should not feel so good about the work they do because they have these people absolutely ruining it for them. And I, I believe it and FBI matters. I'm not opposed to the idea of the concept. I think there's a real question about whether or not they should carry guns, but I don't mind the idea of the investigatory uh, process or investigatory agency. I mind that they're abusive. The people who had their property taken, according to Linda Martin, she's not aware of any of them being actually charged with a crime. The group, U.S. private uh, vaults, they pled guilty to conspiracy to launder drug money. But these people didn't do anything wrong. They should absolutely get their property back. The FBI is like, nah, and then engages in terminology and forms to try and strip people of their rights. And you say to me, Tony, you're kind of pushing it there. Well, allow me to bring the receipts. This is a story over at the Washington Examiner. The Washington Examiner discussing how the FBI and the Secret Service worked to take away people's gun rights. The documents show that between 2011 and 2019, the FBI, the Secret Service, and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement coordinated to obtain signatures on a form from at least, at least 60 U.S. citizens, stripping them of their gun rights. The Washington Examiner has the report. The letter in question, the form in question, which I've seen a, a, a copy of, or at least I should say, I've, see, I've seen the letter, is the idea that people sign away their rights. They determine um, that here, here's a plea. We're not even sure why the plea happened. Um, it's because I guess some people are, you know, uh, don't have the mental capacity adequately to contract, uh, you know, going about their lives and therefore they're willing to sign away their second amendment rights. You're involved in some kind of thing. Maybe a firearm was involved. Clearly you're not okay, uh, for having a firearm. So you sign away your rights. If one person isn't mentally capable of having their Second Amendment rights, how could they meant be mentally capable of signing away their rights? Now, that's a, a simple, basic question that we would all get to. There's a bigger part to this story. Where the hell does this form even come from? What is this? This form doesn't exist. I've seen the letter that was written to the U.S. Secret Service from a lawyer where they filled out the form. But the form itself, any of these forms, would go through a public comment period, through the Office of Management and Budget. It's required before the government collects information from the public. 
And wouldn't there be some type of legislation to allow a form like this to even happen? People giving up their rights? They're not sure of what they're signing. Here is this woman, Linda Martin, who simply said, wait a second, this is my stuff. I'd like to file a complaint to get my stuff back. And the FBI wants to use it against her to keep her stuff. Screw her out of her life savings. This is the government of the United States harming the people of the United States. A government of, by, and for the people, also of by and for screwing the people that's what's happening and no i'll never be in favor of it and those members of the secret service those members of the fbi or any other organization that work to try and take away the gun rights of law-abiding citizens without them understanding their rights were being uh taken away from them fired jail time strip the organizations down to the core and start again it is abusive, full-on abusive. That is what I think of what's happening with President Trump. That's what I think is happening regarding Alvin Bragg, the, the DA in Manhattan. It is full-on abuse. And I don't actually think there's any other way to see the thing. Meanwhile, as I said, Ron DeSantis has now made a comment. And I wasn't planning on discussing it, but he brought it up. So let's hear what he has to say. In it, um, if charges are brought on him, will you have any role in extradition to New York? So I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies to misdemeanors. He says he doesn't want to even have jail time for the vast, vast majority of crimes. And what we've seen in Manhattan is we've seen the the, the crime rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. And so you're talking about this situation with, and look, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda and weaponizing the office. And um, I think that that's fundamentally wrong. I also think it's important to point out when you're talking about these Soros-funded prosecutors, yes, they may do a high-profile politicized prosecution, uh, and that's bad, but the real victims are ordinary New Yorkers, ordinary Americans in all these different jurisdictions that they get victimized every day because of the reckless political agenda that these Soros DAs bring to their job. They ignore crime and they empower criminals and that hurts people, hurts a lot of people every single day. The Soros district attorneys are a menace to society and I'm just glad that I'm the only governor in the country that's actually removed one from office. 
That's strong. He hits on Trump for the porn star thing. He defends uh, the the idea that we shouldn't allow the justice system to work in this way. He excoriates the Soros-backed DAs, which we do have all across the country. He says, oh, by the way, I'm the only guy who's ever actually done something about it. But tell me more about how he's not running for president, won't you? Oh, people are going to be breaking that down like it's their job. Whoo! This is Tony Katz today. Hello? Hi, yeah. Uh, do you speak English? English? Are you from China? Yes, yes. From China? China. And you're coming to America? That's Griff Jenkins, Fox News, at the border in that Rio Grande Valley sector, coming across five people. Uh, may, oh, six, I'm sorry, six men and women from China coming across into the United States through Mexico. Now, I ask a, a simple and basic question. How does that happen? How do people from China get to Mexico to then cross across the southern border? How does that happen? Stop telling us that the border is safe and stop telling us the border is all about people coming from Central America and South America and Mexico just wanting a better life. These people are from China. How'd they get there? What is it that they want? And if we are a nation that recognizes that we're at war with China, which we are because China's at war with us, we can't even let them in the country. No asylum is good enough. The border is worse than we think and not enough people want to talk about it. We will keep talking about it. This is Tony Katz today.